Ladies and gentlemen, good evening, morning, or afternoon, whenever and wherever you happen to be tuning in to today's episode of The Redderizer, because we are back, 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 and way gone. Hold on to that double-double, because you're in double trouble. After discussing the postman always rings twice, it's time for Double or Nothing, because on this episode, we're doubling down with James Malahan Cade's Double Indemnity! <laughs> that was legitimately good. Welcome to the Redderizer, a book show, a show about books. I'm Jonathan H, and joining me is relevant Roxanne. I don't know about that. Kind Kevin. Hi. And just Jacob. Mere <laughs> 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 Jacob. Right. Just Jacob. Ooh, cruel. Well, just could mean fair and kind as well, but yeah, not this time. <laughs> it's more of a Jacob the Just scenario, but we'll go with it. Yeah, and... Uh, Today we're going to be talking about Dumble Indemnity by James M. Kane, his 1943 novel about uh, insurance fraud with mm-hmm. a little side of murder. Nothing is sexier than insurance. I also, I also didn't think insurance was that sexy before reading this book, and now I'm like, damn, I got to get me some insurance. You know yeah, what's interesting like- is like this guy hates insurance, right? Like this is his second book in a row that we've read where it's like yeah really he, i mean it's not that he hates insurance it's that like he thinks the insurance people are like most powerful people on earth yeah you know? the well, fans the fans call this you know james m kane's uh sexy insurance duology right <laughs> that's how the fans <laughs> refer to it there's a thematic link between these two books um i mean these, these two books being the book we talked about in our last episode the postman always rings twice which is another sexy insurance fraud book so you know this guy this guy <laughs> but this one's like way more about insurance <laughs> yeah, so i think i wrote down i wrote down in insurance times a thousand well, well we'll be we'll be talking about whether or not this book you know dials down the sexiness and then you know dials up the insurance uh, when we talk about we go through uh, the plot and we talk about some, you know, some talking points or themes that we want to discuss in this book. I will say it's not a it's not a coincidence that he's so into insurance. I forget where I read this uh, in my journeys in the Kane verse, but uh, aside from being a failed opera singer, he also briefly worked at an insurance company. And uh, one of the uh, mentors at the insurance company told him that all the great unsolved murders of the United States of America are to be found within the files of insurance companies, uh, which is partially, I think, the inspiration for uh, Double Indemnity, if not The Postman Always Rings Twice. So apparently there's a grain of truth to this. Amazing. That that definitely tracks with the book. So so he, he wrote this book in... in Jacob, Jacob, you know the most about the, the context here. You know, that's kind of your, your job on this show, right? So Kind of. So he wrote this book in 1943. So was that just after working insurance, or was that like long? No, after? no, that's that's way after. So this is uh this is sort of um uh his literary career, if it's literary at all, uh, happens kind of after a series of failed professional uh, jobs, uh, including the opera singing, as I mentioned, and insurance. And he'd worked as a reporter briefly and at the New Yorker. And so he kind of bounced around for a bit. And then Postman Always Rings Twice was, I think, his first novel that was successful. But he had a short story earlier than that called uh, Pastoral, uh, which was very, very well regarded and very popular and very shocking for the time. So I think Double Indemnity is actually kind of like mid 
his breakout kind of thing. He's already established at this point as an author, I think. So how how was how was this book uh, this book received? Like last time we read, you know, the Postman Always Rings Twice, which was written like ten years before this one, right? Like about nineteen thirty four. So it's, it's quite a while, which is actually pretty surprising to me. Yeah, did he write anything between them? It's pretty surprising to me considering how similar they are. Yeah, and how much time do you need to 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 write this? But do we know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. But do we know that there that all of his other books in between are not also exactly the same as these two? That's the uh, question. Jacob, answer that question. Are they also <laughs> all about insurance and uh, sex with uh, young women? No, there's one called Serenade, which is much more uh, based on his failed opera singer career, and it takes place in Mexico. And uh, so far, I haven't finished it, but there's no insurance. It's more like a, it's a failed opera singer who uh, ends up running a whorehouse. Uh, I'm sorry. It's... Follow-up question. Why did you not put that one on our itinerary? Uh, because I couldn't find a good movie adaptation of it, but I'm deeply regretting oh. it, even though that one is full of slurs. Is there one about him being an opera singing insurance salesman? Uh, to be determined uh, as I continue my quest through the Kane verse. Is there one that's not full of slurs? No. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah this, this is a problematic novel for sure. And I, I think definitely, I mean, one of the reasons why you did choose this was, as you said, was the film adaptation. But I think one of the reasons why this, this story is so like culturally significant is definitely because of the film adaptations, which in a lot of the lists I looked at and, you know, we've talked about is like, one of the, like the like the best you know by a lot of people's considerations you know uh, noir movies of all time. So that's one of the reasons why we read this. But it does make an interesting companion piece to the Postman Always Rings Twice, right? Because there's just like we're gonna go into it. They're so similar. Before we get into summarizing this book, I just want to ask like I've kind of been wondering like which came first, kind of the James M. Kane dialogue or the kind of cheesy noir film dialogue because at first i was like oh he sounds like he's just trying to write like a classic hollywood thing but i'm like well but the postman always rings twice actually came pretty early so i'm like maybe these weird lines like i loved her like a rabbit loves a rattlesnake or let me be your doctor who's the chicken and egg in this situation so i can actually answer that i I don't want to preempt too much when we get to the movie adaptation of this book but it's two different things so james m kane i think is more well known for being a pioneer in the book version of that dialogue. Uh, When we get to Double Indemnity, the movie, and the screenwriter for that one, which I will not say who it is right now, we get more into the kind of like, I I think the um, platonic version of that pitter-patter that you were fearing, Kevin, comes from the movie and the screenwriter there, uh, who will have more to say about him next time on The Redderizer. I'll leave it there for now, but I think it's, it's, it's not a chicken and egg. It's actually parallel Okay. Uh, tracks of dialogue that are happening. So it's just how people talked in the 40s. Yeah. More or less. Right, a speed limit around here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing fraud, see? All right, let's talk about this book. Um, the, yeah, uh, let's talk about this book. Okay, so basically the story of this book. There's an insurance salesman named Walter Huff um, who goes to uh, visit Mr. Nerdlinger to Nerdlinger or Nerdlinger? Nerdlinger. Like, ner- it's Nerdlinger. Nerdlinger. It, it's Nerdlinger. It's like it's like it's like a Simpsons joke of a name. Like <laughs> right off the bat, yeah, I was gonna say right off the bat, I hate these names. <laughs> <laughs> so Walter Huff goes to see Mr. Nerdlinger, who is not home, but his sexy wife Phyllis is home. Well, um, is she sexy or she's just washed up in pajamas? Yes, that's how he describes her, washed up, but with a washed body up. that would drive a man nuts if you look at it closely enough. Yeah, it takes him a, f- a few a few glances before he notices the body in the pajamas. 
Yeah. So he's talking about, um, he's basically there to, insure, to, to renew this rich guy's insurance policies. And while he's there, she brings up, maybe she also wants accident policy, but don't tell him about it. So immediately, uh, Walter knows that something's up. This woman wants to murder her husband. And basically, immediately, he's in on it. He's like, yep, I'm in because I love this woman and I want uh, a lot of money. I work inside the game. I know how to scam the system. I'm going to do it. He comes back the next day. She's wearing a sailor suit for some reason. And then he's like, oh, oh yeah. man, like that's Normal. like that seals the deal. And the freckles. And the freckles, which he suggests she put a turban on to hide her freckles or something. No, she says she usually wears a turban, but then everyone asked her to tell them her, their f- fortunes. So she stopped. <laughs> There's an unfortunate right. digression into but like Lana, a, a Lana, Lana Turner store. <laughs> Lana Turner kind of wore a turban in the Postman Always Rings yeah, twice. Yeah, so like, it was like, maybe it was like... like a, I feel like it was like a thing at the time. And it was actually kind of with the sailorish suit. So I guess like turban yeah. and sailor suit was just a common uh, It was a common dress. outfit. Um, uh, she, she, dress she, up like you're at sea to buy some policies. She has yeah. a lot of strange sartorial choices, um, not only related to that, but also when she's like, I'm I'm, I'm thinking about... He, well, sorry, when Walter Huff is like, I think, I think you want to kill your husband. And she's like, no. And he's like, I'm pretty sure you do. And also, can I do it? And she's like, and, she's, and then she immediately goes, oh, that's great. Because I have this vision of myself wearing all red and I am death and I'm literally liberating people from this world. And he's like, he's like, that's great. That's great. That's great. Listen, let me tell you about double indemnity. We can make double for this. And she's like, no, no, I want to be death. I want to be death. He's like, no, 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 no. Okay. 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 Well, how do you feel about trains? You know, like I was like, what is going on here? This is very strange. Yeah. So basically, good throwback to the postman. I was drinks twice, where she's suggesting murders and stuff. And he's like, no, 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 you can't just like drown in your bathtub. It's too obvious. Like everyone just drowns in their bathtub. Yeah. Train accidents. That's rare, and it pays out double indemnity from the insurance company. So rather than making twenty five thousand dollars, we can make fifty thousand. Um, and we could be lovers. And then he actually has this like whole catalog that he's looking into, like with all the different types of deaths and how common they were and stuff, which I thought the actuarial tables. Yeah. They, they, they know like how people die. Yeah. So then from there, most of the book is just them setting up this elaborate scheme to kill this guy. The actual scheme is pretty great. They murder him in a car, and then Walter Huff pretends to be him on a train. Then he pretends to fall off the train, and then they like drive up and throw the corpse on the on the railroad tracks, and they go away, and everything kind of you know goes to shit for various reasons. And that's that's basically the gist of it. Well, you forgot one very important character, though. Lola, the daughter. Okay, go ahead, Jacob. Well, no, 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 two, two. So and uh, Sachetti, Sachetti. No, no, no. I was actually thinking of uh, arguably the nemesis of Walter Huff here, unless you include Phyllis, is uh, uh, the know-it-all large man at the office, Keys, uh, who Huff is pretty annoyed by because he's a real stickler. Uh, but also has a grudging respect for him because he's a good insurance man. And so there's a bit of professional respect uh, between uh, Huff and Keys, except, of course, once they try to collect on this double indemnity policy, Keys knows something's up, even if he can't identify exactly what's wrong. So Walter Huff's boss ends up being the one who's trying to figure out how uh, a murder happened uh, that made it look like it was an accident. So I have to pay out 50 grand. And the way Keys is set up, he's like, his partner, Norton, you kind of glean, is like inherited the business from his dad. And Bail I think... I, yeah. And Keys is like the real like old school hitting the streets, getting the shit done kind of insurance guy. He, he thinks he's smarter than Norton. He, in fact, is smarter than Norton. And uh, he knows he knows every file front to back. He knows murders don't happen this way. Murders do happen this way. This is a suicide. This is not a suicide. 
Um, he's a yeah, sweaty he, he man. Like says Again, it's a sweaty man. There's a lot of sweaty men in these bumps. <laughs> a lot of pounding <laughs> around. Sweaty men. In this case, unlike with the Greek, this sweaty man cannot be stopped. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he calls it a murder like pretty quickly. He's oh, like, he mm. instantly knows. Instantly, he's like murder, and I was like, well, okay, well, I guess. Yeah, there goes the perfect murder. <laughs> Keys is the ultimate pedant, and he uses actuary tables and like statistics to like determine that it's like very unlikely that like someone would fall out of a train in this manner, right? Like because the whole murder that Huff sets up is that. Um, you know, uh, nerdlinger with like a, a leg injury just happened to like fall out of the train and like break his neck, which is like statistically like very unlikely. Like that's the setup they they go for. And then like, because it's like statistically unlikely, like Keyes figures it out immediately almost. He just doesn't know how yeah. Phyllis sort of like figured this out. He even says at one point, someone may have swung in or something outside of the train to get in. And he's like, oh no, wait, he was murdered somewhere else. And he's telling this to Huff who did it and Huff is yeah. his coworker, right? But Huff, like, Huff's got to be like the second smartest guy at that insurance firm because he's like covered every detail of the alibi. He's like, I know they're going to say it's suicide. If it's suicide, it voids the policy. Therefore, we're going to do this. Like everything is so perfectly planned. You, yeah, but you think he's smart, but he can't be that smart if he didn't, he didn't take into account keys into his plan. Like he didn't think. That's, oh, not, wait, that's not his biggest mistake. My coworker is going to right away know. <laughs> his biggest mistake is making Phyllis his accomplice. Yes. <laughs> That's his biggest mistake. Phyllis tells him, I've dreamed of myself being death. And he's like, oh, good, finally. I've always dreamt of murdering someone myself. Okay, but have you ever resisted a sexy shape in pajamas? <laughs> <laughs> with, tur- with a turban hiding those hideous freckles? Yeah, You, you can't you say no you, to that. You caught me. That's that's my weakness. <laughs> you, you need to murder for that. That's unique. Yeah, did you guys see once again? This I said the same thing with post ring twice. Like it just kind of gets into the action a little quickly. Where I'm like, I'm not fully on board yet. Okay, well, this I think was even quicker. Like I feel like we have build up with Cora. Also, there's this like animalistic thing between Cora and I already forgot the guy Frank yeah. right away. Yeah. But this it's like not even. Like we don't even get that. Well, there's foreshadowing. They, like at the right at the beginning of the book, they, you know, the narration talks about how like I met her at the house of death. It wasn't known as the house of death yet. And then, yeah, but I don't. Yeah, well, th- that's interesting. Actually, sorry, I want to go back to that. But Roxanne, why don't you finish your point? No, my point is that yeah, we're not given much about Phyllis before he's like, "I'm on board. I'll kill for you." Like we don't really understand why. Yeah. Well, they sleep together, and then. His reasoning for it they is, kiss and then it's a cut. The scene cuts. Yeah, we don't know. Very, a lot, as far as the forties is concerned, they fucked. You know, like that's what it means. But uh, I agree that the reasoning is very flimsy. But the reason that he does give is that he says that basically working in insurance for the last fifteen years has so desensitized him to seeing people try insurance scams. He talks about burnt down houses, uh, like holes in temples. I think like referring to like murder. And he says, like, how it means, like, nothing to him anymore. Like, he's so desensitized to it. And he says, when you do it for so long, you start to fantasize about how you would do it, knowing what you know. It is definitely, like, an impulsive thing he wants to do. But it's something he's been, he says he's been thinking about it for a long time. And, like, mm. he's been waiting for, like, the mark, and you know, for someone like Phyllis to give him, like, the opportunity to do this. So he sort of, like, seizes on it very quickly. And I think a lot of it is just, like, because he thinks he can do it. Because he thinks he's, like, really smart. And because, like, he hates his job. <laughs> That's what I read. He's, like, just really hates his job. He hates his life. He's doing part-time his own financial company, and he's working insurance, and he's just, like, really unsatisfied with it, you know? He mm. really hates it. 
But what I find interesting about that is that he does it and then it starts to like fall apart for obvious reasons, you know, otherwise we won't have a book, but also like he gets really guilty and really paranoid and like really anxious, you know, like he, he did not think that through. <laughs> like, <laughs> did, did you guys catch that? I thought that was like kind of the strongest yeah. parts of the book were like the parts about like paranoia and anxiety, you know? Hmm. I didn't uh, go really on. catch I, that. I either. just kind of thought he was like so confident the whole time. Well, uh, he he. There's, a, there's <laughs> after after the murder happens and he reads it in the paper and Keys basically deduces it very quickly and like Norton kind of does what uh, Huff thinks is like Norton's like I think this was a suicide and then Huff is kind of like oh but why and then uh, um, Keys immediately disproves it which is like. You know, if it was a suicide, it'd be really bad for Huff because he wouldn't get the, the insurance money. But he proves that he's just like, you idiot. Who would commit suicide by jumping off the back of like a, a train? Slow moving train. A slow moving it's train. Really, because like, like, you, like you 20 would, kilometers an hour. Yeah. And he's like, the odds of you breaking your neck and dying are like super low. Um, uh, but then when he starts to figure it out and they're like, we're watching Phyllis. And he's like, holy shit. He's like, how am I going to collect this like money if I can't even talk to her? You know? And then he well, says. he's freaking out. Yeah. He's freaking out even before they do it. Right. Like just with the witness that, that Phyllis brings in, which is her stepdaughter, Lola. He's already like, oh, God damn it. Like, why did you have to bring her? And I didn't mean that. Like, he's already stressed. Yeah. And then he talks about how their relationship crumbles. And he says, all it takes is a little bit of fear to make like love like crumble away. And the fear is like being caught. And then later on when he like he doesn't like trust her anymore. And he's like, he calls her like an Irrawaddy, uh, Irrawaddy snake? Cobra. Yeah, no, that's, that, cobra. that's Keys who calls her that. He's like, you know what we got here is a classic case of an Irrawaddy Cobra. Yeah, yeah, and, I was yeah. like, and he goes, Oh yeah. And he goes, I loved her like a rabbit loves a rattlesnake. And he's like, that night I prayed. <laughs> Cause he realizes like, why did I make this woman my accomplice? And that, that, that part he's right about. Yeah, that's true. And I guess he starts drinking a lot as well. Yeah. <laughs> I like that he's so way. anxious. He's like, I couldn't even get drunk. He was like, I was too anxious. And I was like, I was like, that's chemically very unlikely. <laughs> I just want to say, as like a as a feature of like a hard boiled writing in general, like the trope of the guy who drinks like an ungodly amount of liquor but is still completely lucid. Ah, it's perfect. It's great. Happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, just 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 like real life, that delusion. Yeah, but yeah. I only got six beers. I'm fine. <laughs> I want to go back to something you said. Or oh, sorry. I'm sure it's like to finish your point, John. No, no I, was just, I was just making a really um, dumb joke about drunk driving. <laughs> Thank you. That's not funny. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's dangerous. Um, it's as dangerous as getting off the back of a slow-moving train. All right, Kevin, go. I want to go back to something you said, Jacob, about um, the beginning and about him being like the foreshadowing, like, oh, soon people would know that this was this house in the news, basically. And I find that interesting because this is the second book where he's basically like, it's almost like an H.G. Wells thing, you know, like in H.G. Wells books, there's always like, he writes it as if it's a nonfiction book. He's just like, mm-hmm. this is what I was doing when the Martians came to Earth. Or like, oh, I went to the salon for this rich man. You wouldn't believe I stumbled upon a time machine. You know, and it's kind of like that, or it's like the Postman Always Rings Twice was written as a kind of deathbed confession. Um, this one also is essentially. But it's, yeah, it's that interesting thing. Like right from the beginning, he's kind of like, telling you that like right like this is a piece of nonfiction. like this is a story yeah. that everybody knows about and like i'm gonna tell you how it went down you know 
it has a bit of a vibe of like a like a campfire scary story in that sense you know where it's like oh yeah like you know one person lived to tell the tale kind of thing you know and that, that makes it seem and it was the real, most boring person <laughs> it doesn't make sense though because the, the whole novel is supposed to be his confession that he sends to keys before he gets on the boat with phyllis but it includes the part where he's on the boat with phyllis and he's going to kill himself. Like he says, this he's, one point he says, like, this book is like what I wrote to Keyes explaining like the murder because that's one of Keyes' conditions in the hospital. But then it also includes the end, which is factually impossible. <laughs> well, he's like, isn't there well, a Well, maybe it's like the end of Titanic where like the old lady jumps into the water with the big blue jet. Very and similar then, to the end of Titanic. They both jump in the C- water. <laughs> Celine Dion found it and wore it at the Grammys. So. It's very much like that. Yeah, he's well. He says he's yeah. writing it on the ship, though. I'm writing this in the stateroom. It's about half past nine. Yeah. She's sitting in the stateroom, getting ready, etc. But he was supposed to write that whole book and send it to Keys before. No, but he says he, he says the, the page before that he sent it to Keys. Mm, like there's an extra uh, chapter that's like a kind of postscript. He okay, says, so, "What you've just read, if you've read it, is the statement. It took me five days to write it, but at last, on Thursday afternoon, I got it done. That was yesterday. I sent it out by the orderly to be registered, and around five o'clock, Keys dropped by for the receipt." Because Keys was like, we're not putting you on the boat unless I have the receipt that you wrote that shit. So, so the last the last bit where he's like, we're going to jump in the water was like that eaten by the shark and then also sent... Did the shark send it to Keys too? <laughs> please, please yeah, append the shark this as a swims post- straight back to... to please append uh, this California. as a postscript. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the book got really good in the last two pages. You know, she put on her like red like death cosplay and her like, you know, you know like, why you got heavy good metal makeup and then there's a shark <laughs> like hanging out in the back. I was like, I was like, oh shit, I hope this book doesn't end. And then it did. <laughs> it got good because Phyllis was back instead of the boring guy. <laughs> so yeah, you think he's boring, Roxanne? You hate Walter Huff? Yeah, I just think like we get introduced to this very fascinating character. Well, we don't really know she's fascinating, but then we hear how fascinating <laughs> she is through him, who he's like the most boring guy. <laughs> he's just like an insurance guy who got a bit seduced to be a bit crooked for a, a bit day. crooked. Yeah, he did but, um, murder a man. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, but so, some some light murder. Actually, so yeah, I'm gonna get into this murder. though because I think it's interesting that you d- you identify that uh, Hoff is boring and he works a job that most people think is boring. Um, and I want to go back to this question of like, what exactly is his motivation to do any of this? Because I, I think he he kind of gives multiple reasons for what he's doing, but it's actually ambiguous to me exactly why he's doing any of this. Um, you know, at first it's like, oh, because he's like sprung and he's like, damn, Phyllis in the sailor outfit. Uh, how could I not? And then when he's talking to her, though, he's like, look, the only reason we're doing this is for double indemnity. He's like, if we don't get all $50,000, like it's not worth it to me, which is kind of like weird to me because it's like, well, $25,000 and you're still with this woman, like if you're just in it for but her. But 25000 like, then is like $25 trillion now with inflation. Yeah, exactly. Like what's the yeah, compound, compound interest? Yeah, I feel like my understanding of this is skewed by having like, seen the movie and then also another adaptation so i'm trying to like not think of that but i because if i'm basing it on the book i feel like maybe he just wants to see if he can like trick his own system yeah that's how i got it It because i'm not sold on that he's doing it for the girl like it's just so quick like is she you know like how hot are these pajamas like what are we talking (laughs) like pure silk like what color what's the cut because he even says he knows he shouldn't do this. He's like, this is a terrible idea. You know, it's like he can see when like Phyllis is like, I'm not, I'm not trying to kill my husband. And he's like, 
you're totally trying to kill your husband. He's like, I should just leave right now. Why am I even having? Yeah, but even though he says that, he's the one that's like, come on, come on, admit that. You, like he's yeah. really like spearheading this whole thing. Also, like, what's the long term plan, man? Like, so you kill, you kill, you kill the husband. You get the money. PJ parties. You're with Phyllis, and then what? Where do you go? You you can't you can't show your face around town with that lady and that money. Well, I think he even he even says like early on he's like this is a really terrible plan because now like I've done this she gets the money but also she can implicate me at any time that she wants and mm-hmm. my only defense mm-hmm. is to be like actually it was her. So uh, if you listen to this show, uh, I assume that you probably like reading books. So I have something to tell you about. I have a, we have a new sponsor this season. They are called Perfect Books, and you guessed it, they sell books. Perfect Books is in. Ottawa. Uh, it's a local bookstore. We think it's awesome to go buy books locally um, when you can. Support local bookstores because we want local bookstores to stay around because local bookstores are important. It's not just a place to buy books. Um, they also hold all kinds of amazing events. It's a good community gathering space. These places should exist. These places are better for us than Amazon is. So give them money. We're happy to tell you to give them money because they deserve your money. Write them into your will, Bitcoin, <laughs> whatever you got to do. <laughs> Murder someone with an insurance scam. <laughs> Look, as we just learned in this episode, people don't need to know that you took out an accident policy on them. It's totally legal. That's a real thing. It's called dead peasants insurance. I learned all about it in school. Thank you, Perfect Books. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys want to segue to talk about also like the very disturbing relationship with Lola Nerdlinger? Yeah. yeah. And I also, yeah. yeah, I also want to get to like Roxanne said, Phyllis becomes more interesting, which we should get to that. Um, yeah. Well, we can talk about Lola, the child who becomes a woman once her father dies. First of all, she's 20. There's a great mathematics scene. She's 19. Where, uh, she's going to turn 20 soon. How old is Huff? He says he's, he's 37 or something. He's like no, he old. says he's 34. It's so funny how you read these characters as being so old, but like, you know, he's, he's younger than age, us. Yeah. <laughs> we could yeah, have murdered him. Thirty-four already. in, you know, before the fifties. It's seventy-six. Like, the life like was forty-two. Yeah. Yeah. You're about to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sitting here as a you know a man pushing forty almost. You know, and I'm 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 dressed like a, the same way I was dressed when I was like fifteen. We get it. We get it, John. When an age, you're hip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about Lola, John. Well, Lola is a character that's like introduced haphazardly and then ends up becoming the second. Well, Lola's, uh, I should say, Lola's Phyllis's, our murderess, Phyllis's stepdaughter. She's Nerdlinger's, uh, you know, biological daughter. Nerdlinger, the the, the murderee, the guy who got murdered. And um, Huff gives Lola, you know, a ride here and there, alone for her boyfriend and, you know, on his car. To meet her boyfriend, yeah, because... Because Phyllis doesn't want her to date this guy. So Jetty. So yeah, she has because, to like go behind her back, right? Because Phyllis has some suspicion that Lola's boyfriend, Nino, is actually chasing after Phyllis for ruining his father's life, which is part of why Phyllis is very interesting. We'll get yeah, into that but, later. Yeah. But uh, Lola, you know, is sort of hanging around Huff after the murder of Nerdlinger. And Huff, out of, out of nowhere... Just automatically. And he literally, like, it's like one line. He's like, I just realized I was in love with her. <laughs> he's like, and then, like, he realizes he's in love with her after he's calculating the age difference. And he's like, maybe it's not so bad. You know? But also he realizes he, he, he's in love with her after Lola 
tells him her suspicions about Phyllis, right? Like yeah. he he starts to understand that Phyllis isn't just like hot and freckled. She yeah. might be hot, freckled, and bad. And 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 Huff is like he's he's it's it's gross. It's gross because he's much older than her. But it's also gross because and this is one thing that Huff knows about is because Huff killed her her dad. He killed her dad relatively recently. Yeah, and, and Phyllis possibly killed her mom is what we learn as well. That yes, Phyllis was a nurse where her mom was hospitalized and gave her mom pneumonia on purpose. Yeah, by like locking her outside of the cabin. Yeah, yeah. or something. And then she and, and then later we also find that Phyllis also killed at least three children and then they say probably more as she was practicing so Phil- phyllis is a straight up you know serial killer yeah mm-hmm. and lola sort of figures it out pretty quick and huff is like you know what you're a real smart kid i'm gonna love i love you, you. Now. well love wait you, wait, wait can we just talk about that paragraph uh which is on page 80 of my book is one of like it's just one of the funniest and craziest parts of the book the paragraph begins with like he's sitting in the dark and he goes I'd killed a man for money and a woman. I didn't have the money and I didn't have the woman. <laughs> That's like where he's starting off from. And then it's like him going through like, oh God, like now I'm totally screwed and she's a clearly a murderer. And then he's thinking about like Lola who just told him about all this. And then he goes, you know, he's like feeling really bad that he killed her father. And then he goes, wait a second. Like, you know, uh, you know, she was 19. I'm 34. That made a difference of 15 years. Then I got to thinking that if she was nearly 20, that would make a difference of only 14 years. All of a sudden, I sat up and turned on the light. I knew what that meant. I was in love with her. Like, this is just like totally Yeah, it's, it's only it's only after he realizes that Phyllis is bad that he's like, well, maybe I'll take the child then. Yeah. No, but what, <laughs> what grossed out to me is the way that that paragraph is framed where he's like, oh, if I'm calculating a difference in her ages, that can only mean one thing. I'm in love with her. And it's like, <laughs> Kane like writes it if it's like, that's like, everyone should relate to this it's like <laughs> no no like this is this is super gross and also like it's like it's a like gross but it's also like it's also like a really lazy it feels like a pretty lazy device uh like like kane is like okay i need a way to get like huff feeling guilty not just about the murder he has to feel guilty and also like he has to feel like he has to help someone all right we're gonna make him fall in love with the daughter you know like it's just like and it just happens yeah. sort of haphazardly and that like ends up leading to his like ultimate confession and downfall you know because he wants to like spare lola like a police beating <laughs> he mm. confesses the, the murder but it's 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 gross it doesn't make sense um, i don't even think it's just that though i think it's like he's actually started cracking up right like he's he's earlier in that paragraph he's talking about how he's like cackling in the dark when he realizes how like badly phyllis has him cornered and it's almost like again you know not condoning the the massive age gap relationship that we're talking about here sounds but, like you are right guys uh, maybe i mean the bit. words speak for themselves <laughs> I'm still speaking. I'm not just words of real. Let me out of here. Um, <laughs> you're, just, you're just Jacob. Just Jacob. Um, but no, I mean, I think like the the whole context of that paragraph though is that he starts off and he's like he's finally realized like the predicament he's in and what a terrible idea it was to get into bed with Phyllis. And it's sort of like he's like, wait, maybe this almost twenty year old will be a salvation. And it's like, oh no, dude, you're totally fucked. Like this is not gonna save you. <laughs> like being in love with like the stepdaughter is not actually an improvement in your situation at all. It's but, also like like I don't think we just say it really gross that like he got into the sexual relationship with this woman and then he's like. Yeah, I think I'll just take the stepdaughter instead. She's still old enough. <laughs> and it's and the reverse happened in the Alan Nino situation. Where, where Nino's in, in the relationship with Lola, 
And then, like, to save Lola, he starts making love to Phyllis like he's never, like, the hardest he could. Is like how Keyes describes it. Like, he made love to her, like, the hardest way he knew how to, like, distract, like, like Phyllis from Lola. But, um, Jake, have you talked about uh, how, like, Huff sort of figures out that, like, uh, he realizes sort of belatedly that Phyllis I don't, has a Sorry, I don't think it's to distract her. It's because he's trying to, 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 to get on her side so he could, like, expose her. Yeah, he's trying sure. to expose You frame it that way. I, yeah, I that's why he makes love to her, her as hard Lola. as he possibly could. No, I, I think he's trying to distract her because she's like, she's suspicious of Lola, who's following her around. And he's like, he's like, I got to save Lola. I'm doing the only, the only <laughs> way I know how. I got to make love to her stepmother as hard as I can to distract my either, my girlfriend's evil stepmother from her. That, that's it. That's no, but the that's, only, that's the only later. solution in front <laughs> of me. That's reveal later. He's, he is trying to sabotage her. There's only so many <laughs> solutions. No, he is. He is. Because his father, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he he hunts down Phyllis because he mm-hmm. suspects her of having like ruined his fa- her, his father, and then he he falls in love with Lola at, as he's tracking down Phyllis. You know, that, I mean, it's that's, kind that's, of interesting, right? It's like every one of these relationships is some kind of like weird tactical uh, relationship. Yes, you well, know? except for Huff, except he's for just, like loving well, whatever's there. No, no, no. But I think. <laughs> Well, the Phyllis sure, one was definitely Phyllis. like transactional, and then with Lola, then, yeah. yeah, who knows? Lola's the only like innocent one. This whole thing, really. Yeah. Well, so is Sakedi. Sa- 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 so was sleeping with his girlfriend's with his girlfriend's stepmother. He did it for noble reasons. Yeah, he did it because yeah, because Phyllis was the head nurse of the hospital where he, owned by his dad, right? Yeah, and that's why. So he starts like dating Lola to try to get back at Phyllis. That guy does not have a clean conscience. Look, Kevin, I think you just can't accept that he cheated on her with her stepmother for her. Yeah, that's, but, that's he, but he's only with her in the first place to get <laughs> okay, to the stepmother. So no, actually, no, she's no just that's not what happens. He, he only meets Lola because he's trying to get to Phyllis. But then Key says that Nino fell in love with Lola. They fall in love legitimately. They get married at the end. That's a real thing. They love each other. That's for I don't real. remember them getting married. That happens. They got yeah, married they got at the married, end yeah. and Key's and the yeah. insurance company paid for the wedding. Key's gave her away. He oh, like walked right. her down the aisle because right. she has that's no right. more family. <laughs> and, and Lola, yeah, Lola tells Huff like, "I'm not in love with you. I'm in love with the Sacheri." Sorry, I don't know why I laughed. Like the entire, like their entire older generation. Okay, but can we talk about the name of Phyllis? Yeah, and the name of his essay that's mentioned for no reason at all. Oh yeah, it's like what is it? Science is he an like a studying physics? And he's a biologist. He says, I think, isn't he? He's like a bio, a bio, a chemist. He's a chemist. That's right. Colloids right? and gold mining. Hmm. I don't know why I know that or why that's in the story. But but Key, it's funny that Keys also says, you know, Nino is really distracted from his studies, you know, in his quest for revenge against Phyllis. <laughs> 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 yeah, I just feel like it's a lazy way of being like, you know, like this guy's good finally, like because you know we're not you're not quite sure about him at the beginning because you're kind of introduced through him like the, as the bad boyfriend, but like he's a student, guys. Don't worry, he's a good he's a good kid. He's got an essay. He's got one essay. That's right. He's writing a thesis. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So the postman ring always rings twice. Had a lot of very funny parts. Like it was funny to see the sort of like the schemes fall apart. And we didn't really have that in this book. But there is one part that is funny to me in retrospect is when Huff decides that he has to off Phyllis. He decides to oh kill Phyllis, and he sets up that this really chapter. elaborate. <laughs> car thing that straight out of postman always rings twice he like switches cars he moves around he steals nino's car because he kind of wants to frame nino for it he sets up a meeting with phyllis and then phyllis uh trumps him you know uh all all the best laid plans of how falls apart because 
uh, Phyllis's counter plan is just to walk up to him and shoot him in the chest, <laughs> which like is really funny because a lot of this book is like about scheming and avoiding insurance. And then Phyllis is like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm just going to go shoot this guy. And she would have got away with it too, except that <laughs> uh, Huff had had this huge like theater program packed into his chest that like blunted the blow of the bullet into his chest and saved him. Just like pure dumb luck. So it is kind of like making fun of like these insurance guys and all their schemes and stuff like that. Because if he didn't have that, Phyllis would have gotten away with all this shit. <laughs> yeah, and his whole plan with the theater and like which time to go to the theater and his friend who was like an actor and like to pretend that he's going to check out his performance or something. Well, that's what's funny about it though. It's like he's like de- he's like all these crazy details about like I gotta be I'm gonna be smoking a cigar when I'm on the train. I'm gonna be at this place. I'm gonna yeah I've, I've watched the theater and I'm gonna know you know know what happened in the movie because I saw it the night before. And then he's like, oh shit, Phyllis could just not give me the money. I didn't think yeah. about that. <laughs> you know? Well, Phyllis uses his own strategy against him, right? He tells her about the three essential parts of a murder. And the last one is you have to do something audacious in broad daylight. And he describes like how the mob will just wait outside a movie theater and blast someone. And then nobody knows what happened because it happened so quickly. Like that's yeah. essentially what she does to him. And he doesn't see it coming at all. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want to talk about the transition. Uh, uh, this, this made me laugh like out like cackle, like when I read this, but like, at the end of chapter 10, it's Lola telling him basically that she's going to blow the whole thing sky high by going to the legal hearing and accusing Phyllis of like being essentially like a serial murderer. And then you like turn the page over at the end of like, and anyway, sorry, like Walter's trying to talk uh, Lola out of this because like he still thinks maybe there's a chance he can make off with the money. And then you like turn the page over and the first line of chapter 11 just goes, I don't know when I decided to kill Phyllis. Like, <laughs> just, like, it's, it's, it's so fucking funny. Yeah. Just, like, I was dying when I was reading that. It was just like, because like, this is the thing that I really like from the postman always brings twice. There's that like scene near the end where like they kind of get away with it, but then uh, Frank and Cora now suspect each other and like, they won't let each other go to sleep. Cause like Cora's worried Frank's going to murder her. And then Frank's worried that she's going to like call the cops and tell them that he actually killed Nick the Greek. Whereas, like, the last, like, you know, sort of, like, third of this book is, like, an expanded version of that, where, like, the people who do the perfect crime now have turned on each other and are trying to, like, outmaneuver each other. Like, that dynamic is so funny to me. Anyway, maybe that's 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 sick fuck shit I'm talking about here. But, like, no, no, it's, it, uh, it, 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 it is interesting. It's Jacob. much better done in Postman Always Reads Twice. Like, this this one's a lot more weak sauce, you know? Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. It's really interesting. I would agree with Roxanne. Phyllis is interesting. It's got kind of a so I married an axe murderer kind of situation going on, you know? Yeah. yeah, I feel like we're introduced to like this sultry, like her dreaming of being death and stuff, and then she just disappears for most of the book. Like you only hear about her through other people, and she just keeps getting more interesting every time like something gets added on. Like, okay, she killed the mom, and then it's like, well, actually, she also killed some children, which... By the way, I don't think it's cool, but like, you know, it just kind of builds up. Like, this, like, she just becomes more of like an arch villain, you know, and like, I want to know more about her, basically. But I'm just like here, like she's not even speaking. You don't really like she's not present in the chapters. You're just hearing about her through other people. You don't really see what happens with her after she tries to shoot him. You know, well, like, you see her in the end, and she's just like, at the hey, end, it's me. Look, like here we are. Yeah, but like for most <laughs> of the book, she's she's not there, and I was like, this is like, you know, okay, I I can I'm reading how bad she is, but I'm not really like you're telling me, but you're not showing me, but like 
and oh, but then she shows up and I like the ending by the way. Yeah, like the ending was good, and I was like, okay. And then what? She she's bad. She's gonna blow up the boat. You know what I mean? Like, I just think like yeah, like she was just not there for most of the time, which I thought was too bad. Yeah, I love the ending though. So so yeah, so Keys makes this deal with Huff where he's like, okay, like here's how it's gonna work. You're going to give your confession on Friday. You're going to leave town on Thursday. Here's a ticket. You know, you get on that boat and I never want to see you again. And and Fault's like, okay, okay. Like he kind of in shape, like head between his legs. Like I'm going to do it. Can I ask something? Like why? I didn't really understand why he lets him go. Like, well, he, nope, he, he no, doesn't that's, really that's let the him ending. go. That's the he ending. Doesn't, he mean, doesn't he, really yeah. quite let him go. He says, that's the thing. I'm going to give a you final, a ticket to go. I'm fin- I'm, don't I'm, want to. Sorry, we don't want to prosecute you like right Kevin, now like because it'll be bad for the insurance company. But he says, we're putting out a reward for you. Like basically, and he says, if you get caught, we're going to push it as hard as we can for the death penalty. So yeah. they have, they have but, no chance. But that's actually not why he lets him go. When we find out at the end, he actually lets him go because he knows Phyllis is on that boat with him. And he knows that they're going to destroy each other, which is exactly <laughs> what happens. And then they just decide to commit suicide yeah. together. But I, I would like, I would not have like, my money on Huff. Like she's gonna destroy him. Like there's not. He's also dying anyway. He's like still been shot. (laughs) Keys knows everything. He's like an oracle. Like he knows exactly what will happen. He's like I ran the actuarial table and hanging (laughs) out with Phyllis for a long enough period of time, and like oh, hundred percent death rate. (laughs) Yeah, hundred percent jump into the sharks. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but also like I I got the impression that Keys like there's a reward out for you. They're going to Mexico. They don't have any like funds or anything. Like they're. They're screwed, basically. So that's I think I assumed why they decided to kill each other. Um, yeah, but and the, then the he end, says, "Ending was cool." She looks like what came aboard the ship to shoot dice for souls in the rhyme of the ancient mariner. <laughs> she's like, "What does that mean?" Hell I yeah. also yeah love the description of what she's wearing. Like I can't quite picture it. Like he says, she's wearing a red thing, and then he says it's just one big square of red silk <laughs> that she wraps around her, but it's got no armholes, and her hands look like stumps underneath it when she moves them around. Like what is? She's what is like she a mummy. Wearing? I imagine yeah. you ever seen the Seventh Seal? Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal, and there's death. Yeah, and he has like that. Like I just imagine that, but red. Like that's how I imagine <laughs> it, and that's what she looks like. And he's like, oh my god, she's completely ridiculous. Like, like she, she's want- larping, she's cosplaying. And then I want a follow up where where she becomes death. She and she's like, this is my fantasy is I want to become death. And Lola also talks about how Lola saw her dressing up like this, like in front of the mirror and stuff at home. So it's like this is her <laughs> ultimate fantasy is not to like murder people and like get rich. It's actually like this. This is what she wanted. And he's like, oh my god. He's like, it's like it's like he's like it's like it's like he stumbled on her being a furry or something. You know, just something. <laughs> Wait, what she wanted? What like beneath contempt? You know, he's like Jesus Christ. He's like I fell for this for like a moment. He's like embarrassed. But also like this evil villain who's killed and who dreams about being death. Like her name is Phyllis. Phyllis. Phyllis Nerdlinger in a way. Phyllis. <laughs> <laughs> why is spoiler alert? Why are the last two words of the book the moon? Because I think he's looking up from the water as he's sinking and he sees the Well, he's not writing as he's sinking. He says that she comes into the stateroom door. No, but he's not still writing anymore. The last chapter isn't writing. It's it's Mm -hmm. contemporaneous. He's stopped. The moon has a lot of cultural significance, whatever. But he's talking about writing the book in the last chapter. Uh, Right up to, I'm writing. I can feel her. Page break, the moon. It's deep, man. It gives the fucking ending meaning and pathos and we're all like holy shit the moon what does it all mean it's all part of the cosmic 
balance between life and know. death. The dance continues. It's the dance of death. Get on your red smocks, baby. Listen. Because we're all going <laughs> to die one day. Just like how the moon Listen. and the sun circle the earth, you know, around. So, so alternate. So ending. spins the wheels of insurance. Oh, you my know? God. Like, <laughs> alternate ending. So he's ending. inside the belly of a whale. He's still writing. Alternate ending. <laughs> I didn't hear the stateroom door open, but she's beside me now while I'm writing. I can feel her. And you don't need the moon. My alternate ending is that they get to Mexico, they go to the beach, and he's, he, he comes out on the beach, you know, and he sets up next to a parasol and a recliner, and he's wearing, you know, just some, some swimsuits, you know, and he's putting on sunscreen, and then Phyllis walks out in her red death outfit, and he goes, <sighs> and then it ends. <laughs> <laughs> and then That's it ends good. with like the curb your enthusiasm. Let's give our final judgments on this book. Whoa, whoa, sorry, sorry. Just back up for a moment. I just want to make a note about Phyllis as a femme fatale. Uh, I think it's a character that's invented by Dashiell Hammett in the Maltese Falcon. So that's a book that came out two years before the Postman always rings twice. And I just want to point out that there's been a, like a major evolution in Kane's writing from like Cora, who's like, not exactly a femme fatale, even though that book comes out a couple of years after uh, the Maltese Falcon. But like, you know, it's been quite a bit since that by the time Double Indemnity comes out. And then Kane's like, okay, I think I figured out this like murder lady business. Sorry, did uh, you say evolution or devolution? Uh, I think it's massive. I think, so uh, yeah. It's like the X-Men, uh, Charles Xavier School for Gifted Children of Femme Fatales. Um, but uh, oh. yeah, no, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Don't, don't ask too many questions. Um, I'm still thinking about the weird square uh, piece of yeah. red that Roxanne brought up. It's like, I didn't, yeah, I didn't catch it. Like, the where time. can I find one and does it go well with a turban? It's just a bed sheet, man. You know it is. <laughs> it's a pillowcase. Yeah, yeah. It's just a hole like, cut in top. It's like it's like when I was a kid, I went as a ghost for Halloween once. It's just a white bed sheet with some holes cut in. She's do that with a red one. <laughs> I'm just curious what people think though about the the like the concept of the femme fatale. Just uh, I don't know if people have thoughts about that or just uh, I mean it's kind of like a recurring trope of noir, kind of a controversial one. Um, and I was wondering what thoughts other people had, if any. Yeah, this book is sexist as shit, too. Like, about that. Like, it's super, super sexist. There's lots of throwaway lines about, like, oh, that's just, like, women for you and stuff, you know? And I think a lot of the femme fatale imagery in this book is just because, like, Phyllis is kind of, like, strange and un unknowable. And usually that's coded because she's a woman, you know? And uh, the other woman or other women in the books are, like, Lola, who's, like, good because the she's, good like, girl. young and innocent. And a lot of her characters, she's young, right? Like, that's it. You know, she's sort of young and, like, untainted. And then the other characters are, the other female characters are like a secretary, you know? Well, there's also the reporter and he Eddie. says, even a dumb cluck of a woman reporter could see there was something funny out there. Even a dumb Fucking cluck huff. of a woman reporter. But yeah. the good girl is another trope, no? Well, at least in the movies, like. That's cliche, right? The kind of innocent, right, clueless. Let's talk about final judgment. It wasn't guys. cliche back then. Anyway, sorry. I buy by 1940. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, there's been 10 years of this by now, Jacob. It wasn't cliche. Quite, yeah. Everyone had trillions of dollars and was about to die in her forties. It was it was the first time that people discovered women could be dangerous. <laughs> 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 they had never conceived of it until then. Women, we're poison. Okay, I, okay. Don't I'll give my I'll, I'll I'll give my I'll give my assessment as. So, again. Uh, I like that these books are short. This book is like 107 pages. You read it in like a couple hours. 
on a story level, it's kind of fun. I kind of feel like I'm just reading a, like, I, I didn't agree with you, John. Like, I didn't think it was like, went totally downhill or anything. It was kind of fun following the plot. But in the end, I just kind of feel like I'm reading a movie treatment. Like, there's nothing, like, I'm never going to think about any of this ever again. You know, the plot happened. It's done. I'm going to move on. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's like, I like, yeah. I like a book yeah. where I'm like, what, yeah. what, what was the deal with that? And I'm like thinking through the character and thinking yeah, through the I scene. Agree. I'm thinking through why did it start there? Right? There's none of that in this. You know, there's nothing mm -hmm. I need. There's nothing for me to think about. Well, you've never been yeah. bored at work and thought about doing a crazy murder <laughs> to try to <laughs> spice up your professional life. Actually, that was my favorite passage where he was talking about how like the he, he likened it to like a, a gambler working. That, that part made yeah, too. Yeah, he was talking about a gambler in a casino gambler. and he's like, Basically, when you have a job where you deal with these kind of things, like you get really desensitized to it. And like, you know, I've had lots of boring jobs and stuff like that. And I think about that. Um, anyways, Kevin, you were saying how like you didn't think the book went downhill, but at the end you say it doesn't really resonate with you in any way. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I don't, it didn't really resonate with me that much apart from the one passage I just mentioned. Um, I don't think this is like particularly very special book, very good book. And it partly, I think it's because I just read The Postman Always Rings Twice, which I think is like a much better version of a lot of the same themes. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's decently like plotted and stuff, I guess, you know, like that's pretty cool, but this book didn't really excite me very much. Um, it's, it's short, I guess, but when you're sort of talking about that as a virtue, you know, sometimes it's <laughs> kind of means that you're just happy it ended. Um, there's definitely a lot of parts where I found were kind of dull. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really enjoy this book very much. Yeah. Like I agree with everything you guys said and also like i don't know if you guys can think of one time where you've seen a movie first and then read the book and been like oh like that added a lot to my experience except for lord of the rings of course because you know tom bombadil but <laughs> <laughs> shout out <laughs> but like <laughs> the movie tom. yeah tom tom are you out there Phyllis but, is kind of the Tom Bombadil of murder. She just goes from forest to forest slaughtering so people. So true, <laughs> Jess Jacob. But I don't know. The movie is like, we'll talk about it next time. But yeah, like, so I, I yeah, it's hard. I, obviously, I like the movie. Spoiler alert for next episode. But like, so reading this, I was like, oh, like this, I, this is a good base. But I can see what was added to it and what it brought to it. You know what I mean? It, really with the character of Phyllis, because like, yeah, like I said before, like I just thought they kind of like focused on the wrong things. Also, the insurance stuff. I think I thought that was the most boring part of Postman Rings twice, and this was like <laughs> you want even three more quarters. I mean, it's stuff. the name. Yeah. It's in the name of the book. You know, you can't like, really even, fault it for that. Yeah, like we didn't talk about it in. Uh, we didn't talk about it, but like even like the character of Nick in Postman, like you kind of you understand the husband, like. He's kind of dopey and like, but this like nothing's really said about him. Like, why does she want to? I guess she just wants to kill him because of the money. But like, he's like a non-person. Like, I just thought this was kind of more like breezing through like the murder plot without like the kind of build up to it. Like he did in Postman Rings twice. Mm. And no line lady, so you know. I don't know. I thought this book fucking ruled. I'm really excited to see an even better version of it on film, if that's even possible. Uh, but no, I, I kind of liked it. I kind of like the themes of like. You know, they come up with the perfect murder on paper, right? Like, all the statistics. They're like, here's everything. You know, he knows. He's like, I got all the numbers down. I know who's going to be investigating this. You know, like, we can square it all, 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 all away. But the only problem he doesn't, you know, account for 
is the fact that he's pers- the person he's dealing with is an Irrawaddy Cobra, like a completely unpredictable, one-in-a-million kind of psychopath uh, who does not factor into any of his calculations until it's far too late. And I, I think as a kind of, like... Um, use of the, the you know the way that noir operates where it's like okay you know they're gonna lose but how are they gonna fucking lose like i feel like that's always how it goes in noir and you know they show you the ball right at the beginning which is like we know this is going to hell in a handbasket and there's no way they're ever gonna get out of it um and just how things go off the rails so spectacularly after it seems like they've kind of gotten away with it like even the fact where like he's like can kind of tell like oh yeah Like, I know something's up, but, like, how the fuck do we even prove this? Like, I feel like that actually does generate a lot of tension where, like, even though, like, Huff is kind of freaking out, it's like, no, like, they kind of did pull it off. It's just that there's this one other thing, (laughs) this one tiny little detail that he hasn't accounted for, which is (laughs) that he's actually not supposed to make it out alive either. Um, (laughs) I don't know, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, this book that I thought was, like, really funny, and, uh, you know, some of that insurance shop talk does seem like it's kind of distracting, or, like, what's the point? of all this detail um and it's just like interesting though it's because it's like it, i think what it adds to the tension is that it's like he's trying to avoid his fate by his like look if i just document more of this if i just lean harder into my profession and the skills i've learned in terms of like establishing a paper trail and all this stuff i can somehow get out of the mess i'm in and it's like no sorry you're in the wrong genre for that my friend you are going to fucking die and it's gonna be awful and you know like he ultimately gets his comeuppance and you know in in classic kane style he's always going to throw in something weird for you whether it's like a lion taming adulteress or in this case you know the weird mummy thing that's going on with phyllis at the end and i I think it's great i kind of like it a bit more than postman always brings twice but uh, i'll be in the minority on that one and i'm looking forward to next week with billy wilder's adaptation of double indemnity That was the Rhetorizer, a show about insurance, uh, and music and production by me, Kevin Sexton. Our head of uh, social media and marketing is Roxanne Hudon. Uh, our welcomizer is John with an H, and our professor of Dwarology is Jacob, just Jacob. Uh, if you have a suggestion for a mini show, one of the episodes thought about a novel, you could email us at a show about joke books, a show about books, a show about books at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram with the Rhetorizer. Blow about shooks. A blow about shooks. <laughs> we it will be back. Should be a show about looks. Look at us. Ooh yeah. We'll no, be back in two weeks with a with a discussion. <laughs> look at us. We will be back. Tom One of Bombadil. us is wearing a sailor suit right now. I'm not saying who. <laughs> we will be back in two weeks to talk about looking at double indemnity. <laughs> We're all in sexy pajamas.